What's up people, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. This week we've got a guest, finally I hear you say, fed up of listening to Just James's voice. This week we're talking all about how to create innovation and change in your business. This will come from a post that went viral um, on LinkedIn a few years, I believe, after our guest wrote it. So let's get into the podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We are an oppressive regime of health and safety regulations. A huge fire engulfs a tower block in London. Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent and your host, James McPherson. Okay, people, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. In this episode, we are talking all about how to create innovation and change in your business. Today's guest is a doctor of sociology, a developmental coach, an integral facilitator, a critical theorist, a Yuichi Riki master. I really don't know if I said that right teaches meditation, coaches CEOs, but why is she on a health and safety podcast? Well, that's a great question. She created a framework or a construct or whatever we want to call it a while ago. And then over the last couple of months seems to be having a bit of a burst. And it ended up scrolling onto my feed on LinkedIn and it really grabbed my attention. And this framework starts with, if you want innovation and change, then you need, and it just scrolls for all the things you need. And in today's podcast, the producer of said framework is going to take us through each step. I think innovation and change is something we as an industry of health and safety and business leaders as well, it's something they strive for, it's something they need, but it's something that maybe is really difficult to get and we kind of see that in today's conversation now today's conversation we're going to split it over two parts because it's a very long conversation but it's such a good conversation and to be honest i think we could have gone even more in depth of pretty much every subject that we touch on it's also worth noting that we are talking about a framework that so it It is worth noting that we are talking about a framework, so you might get lost if you're listening on the podcast whilst walking the dog or driving, etc. So if you do get lost, feel free to pause it, jump over here onto YouTube, and you'll be able to see the framework in the middle of the screen, on the right of the screen, or somewhere, wherever I find in post-edit, where the best place to put it. But you'll be able to follow what we're talking about. Hopefully that'll be a lot more helpful. So without further ado, I'm going to shut up. Let's get into today's podcast with our guest, Dr. Dara Blumenthal. So, hi Dara, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks James. All the way from New York, is that right? That's right, yeah, I'm sitting at my, uh, in my apartment, in my home in Brooklyn. Cool, cool. Yeah. I went to New York once, New York's where I proposed to my wife actually, in central New York. Um, but yeah, why don't you uh, let us know who you are 
um, what you do, what you're about, etc. Give us a little kind of like your story uh, as an introduction and then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, the work that I do today is focused mostly on working with teens and individuals. Um, so I, I work inside of organizations and then I also work in sort of a private practice capacity like a, like a therapist would. Um, and I work in primarily two uh, sort of uh, expressions. One is as a, a holistic coach um, and the other is, is as a facilitator and I do a particular type of facilitation that's called integral facilitation. Um, and, and all of the work that I do is super emergent. So um, it's really, really servicing the moment. So um, it's unstructured in a way, but more than it being unstructured, it's that it's actually emergent. So it's happening in real time rather than something being planned. Um, yeah, so I've been doing this sort of work um, and increasingly uh, sort of turning into the personal realm. Um, for the last six years since I left academia. So I'm trained as a sociologist. I have a doctorate in sociology. I have a master's in critical theory. I do lots of different things. So mm -hmm. I can talk more about whatever's interesting. So when you say like emergent, does that mean like, like it kind of like you let it evolve as it goes? So that the conversation kind of leads you, is that, is that right? Or? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I love that expression. Um, the way that you put that, the conversation leads you. So... I think at like the most simplest, the the way to define facilitator is that it, it, you're there to help make something easier. So, um, you know, when I'm having, uh, when I'm helping a team work through a difficult conversation or um, something that happened that was challenging or sort of just general uh, dis-ease, um, the conversation is leading us and I'm just sort of guiding us. I'm just sort of leading us along the way to make those, those moments easier. Mm. Do you want to give us a, a quick intro if there is such a quick intro into critical theory, because I did Google it when we had our call uh, about a <laughs> month ago and I, I kind of got it, but my mind then kind of went. So, <laughs> do you want to give me a quick intro to kind of what that is or what that means to us as lame? Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you be willing to say a little bit about your understanding from what you Googled? Or at least what just sort of remained in your awareness? Not not much. Very little. If uh -huh. um, <laughs> yeah. I remember reading it and being like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not sure. I'm going to ask. Is, is okay. that really my level of understanding? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, um, so I, I, did, I did this master's in critical theory after my PhD, which is just a weird, like I just do things in a weird way, my own sort of style. Um, and uh, the reason that I wanted to do this degree in critical theory after I got a PhD in sociology is because I wanted to enter back into something that was more interdisciplinary. So I wanted, I wanted to sort of finish my my sort of formal schooling. Um, I mean, I've done a lot more sort of training and education since, but in terms of being in like a formal institutional environment was something that was not so strong discipline, sociology, strong discipline, you know? Okay. Um, so critical theory, when I studied it uh, at the graduate level, um, 
what it's a it's a it's a discipline that interweaves uh, philosophy, literature, um, sort of social sciences. So it's and it literally I took classes in in literature and in the school of philosophy. Mm. Um, so there's a there's also like a strong psychology element. Um, and where I did my undergrad at, at Gallatin at NYU, which is the School of Individualized Study, um, which I, is also a strong critical theory tradition. So basically it's like the way that I understand it is like you're using your yourself, your subjectivity as, as the way into um, not only theory, but really trying to make sense and trying to make meaning mm. of, of the world, of the social, um, which is a little bit different than, so like in sociology, you're, you're going, you're trying to be objective, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm making broad generalizations here, yeah. but there's a lot around the self and around, um, around like the social as as like an experiential phenomenon mm -hmm. that continues in critical theory as a way of sort of breaking things down deconstructing things and reconstructing things to really make sense um of the universe or of mm -hmm. the, the the society mm -hmm. i don't know well, if that helped <laughs> honestly <laughs> Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. I, rem I remember you were talking. I remember thinking that it, it said in the description, and it was literally just a little description box in Google. That was my level of um, of research on it. I'm not going to lie. Um, and I do remember it being something like the, the phrase kind of cross pollination of loads of different subjects did kind of come into my head. And then like, you kind of touched on it there. Um, yeah. That, that maybe that I don't know whether I've completely gone off on a tangent, but is it kind of like trying to find the golden thread that connects all of them psychology, sociology, science, biology, whatever, and just having that critical theory all through them? I don't know whether I just made that up or, or what. <laughs> I like it. I, I, yeah, I think it, um, well, so what I can tell you too, and if people are interested, um, you can read, I've published my master's. Uh, dissertation yeah. on my medium uh -huh. um, I mean it's it's missing footnotes and stuff but, but ge generally the whole thing is there yeah. and so what I did in that is I'm looking at basically I mean this is sort of like so meta and ridiculous at this point <laughs> but looking at the way that critical theory as a discipline mm. needs to sort of turn its lens onto itself in order to to be ethical to to be responsible in the way that it's making judgments and making assertions mm. that you actually have to start with deconstructing yourself before deconstructing anything outside of yourself i put outside in quotes there because it's i'm trying to sort of break down the inside and the outside okay <laughs> i'm gonna read it actually because i love this stuff but i am such a layman and like i just like well okay but i'm a, i was really intrigued by it when you were talking and we, before when we had our early call and you were saying about critical fearing i was like i should probably try and find out what that was <laughs> it didn't work obviously <laughs> so kind of what what brought you to my attention was this kind of i call it a framework you might not want to call it framework i don't know but essentially a very nice drawing of and you start if you want innovation and change then you need Blah, 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 blah. And yeah. 
I like I liked how it looked as well. It's quite simple. I like things simple, as we just tried, just kind of found out. Um, <laughs> and that that kind of that just really grabbed my attention because I do think mm. innovation and and change in in my professional and personal opinion is something that we in the health and safety industry really struggle with because um, mm. I think innovation in itself and change in itself in, in a way both inherently involve risks and and we as an industry maybe historically mm. have been trained to be very risk averse so we don't like innovation because to be innovative means try it somewhere way new and that might not work and then in health and safety that means maybe someone gets hurt I don't know uh, mm. and, and the same with change. Change, I find, is something that businesses really struggle to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of just really grabbed my attention. So before we kind of dive into that, essentially, we're just going to kind of run through that. Um, but do you, maybe you could take us to the point that, that brought you to that. Do you know what I mean? Like, What, what made you yeah. go, I get this, I'm going to write this down. Like, Why did you write it? Why did you do it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Uh, so I created this a few years ago, and um, for whatever reason, it's it's having it's it's having a moment right it's gone now. Viral. It's gone viral. <laughs> um, wow. Um, yeah. So a few years ago, um, I had I had been working in the organizational design and organizational development context. Um, you know, I, I was sort of a few years into this into this field and. Um, I, you know, a couple things I was, uh, I was frustrated with, um, with how simple, uh, uh, and and maybe simple is not the word. It's like how uncomplex things were, um, people, people oriented to how humans organize and interact and get things done. Mm -hmm. It would just seem so simple to me, you know, coming from a really rigorous academic background where I taught cultural studies and I, you know, I looked, you know, we look, we moved through all of the nuances of how humans, how humans are and do things together. Mm-hmm. The way that it, it sort of was at work, you know, working inside of these, these environments, mostly for me, Fortune 500 companies um, at the time it just was so simplistic and so reductionistic. It was so like, well, you know, if we just like, like push this button and move this lever and like, you know, jam this thing into this thing, like all the humans are going to do what we want them to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Which just isn't how it works. Uh, And then um, this was right around, I I created this, I think kind of in a response to um, this, uh, New York Times, I think it was a New York Times article that came out all about Google um, and how Google like uh, discovered psychological safety as the key, um, you know, and I think this is probably an article that's like still going going around, but it was like was such a hot one, thing. That the one where they were trying to create the perfect team or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I've read yeah. that as well, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, great. Um, and one, you know, at least from the, the point of view of sociology, we've known this for a really long time, you know, at mm. least a hundred years. Oh, wow. um, and uh, I just had a conversation the other day with some folks at Culture Amp, and, you know, they were saying, you know, this whole idea of soft skills was first published uh, in 1918. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like we've known about this stuff for a long time. So it 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 didn't feel so new to me, and it, it felt like you know just um, it didn't go. It still didn't go deep enough for me. So like okay. I'm I'm a I'm sort of like a like a depth. Um, you know, there's like this uh, like Jungian Carl Carl Jung, um, the psychologist who is a student of Freud's. Um, he has like depth psychology. It's like you go in deep. I'm like a depth coach or like a depth facilitator, okay. like a, a depth practitioner. So like I'm like, where is the depth? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I sort of I created this framework or whatever you know you want to call it um, in in response to where is the depth? Because if we don't start to orient to our human experience from a deeper place, we're always going to be at this like really surface level, which I think for a lot of people, it's like we're running around with our, like chickens with our heads cut off. It's mm-hmm. like there is no there there, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so that I think that's sort of that's just sort of the the, the basic context. And maybe I'll pause there. There's a, a one or two other things I could say mm. um, contextually, but I'll just see if there's anything. I've been talking for a few minutes, so. <laughs> it's, well, you're supposed to talk more than me on, on this, <laughs> so you're doing okay. Um, okay. That, that, what you kind of said there about just kind of skimming the surface resonated with me a little bit. I think within, within my industry especially, that's something we're really good at, is just, just skimming the surface and not really diving into stuff. So maybe this is kind of like a two-pronged question, but well no I suppose why is it that we do that so the kind of example I think about is like a long time ago we had this amazing thing called uh, behavioral based safety it was a phenomenon that was new to us you know think about how people think and try to influence their behaviors etc and it was like Professor Scott Geller was probably one of the biggest most influential person who is I think he's an American if I remember rightly um and he got kind of started about psychology in safety um Mm. and and we had this bbs system and everyone kind of was a new fad and everyone just kind of jumped on it and it was amazing but again i think on that we only um skimmed the surface because a lot of businesses were looking at it being like essentially it became a stick system we were like you know showing videos saying this is the behavior you you should never do you shouldn't do this and we never really got down to the the depth of it and, and most of the stuff I'm getting or talking about here was this really good interview with him um, another safety podcast did uh, from Sonny Gopal and he mentioned in there that we never touched on the point that the environment that we're in defines our behaviors and that mm. essentially has become one of my favorite sayings but why is it that we just skim the surface? Is it we're lazy and it's too complicated or is it too specialist or something like that? Like, why do we just skim the surface? Because psychological safety, which I'm sure we'll delve into later, is all the rage now. And I think it's all stemmed from that same report about Google that you said. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone's talking about it, but it's like, are we really talking about it or are we just talking about the headlines like you were saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's probably a massive question that you don't have the answer to, but (laughs) yeah, totally. I I don't think I do, but I, I can, I can speculate. Right. Um, yeah. So I've been, I've been thinking a little bit about something called polyvagal theory this week. So polyvagal theory, uh, it's, it's, it's really super interesting. I'm not going to try to, (laughs) 
Um, it's complex, so I'm not going to try to uh, define it or, you know, really give a good overview. But I think the most important thing about about this for this conversation is that one of the most important elements um, in anything that's happening in terms of interpersonal dynamics and even intrapersonal dynamics, understanding our own experiences, um, are our physiological states. Um, so, so not only uh, states in, in terms of states of consciousness, but actual physiological states. So what's happening with our nervous system? And, um, you know, it's, it's like a, a really simple, you know, elucidation is that if someone gets triggered and then you're, that, that person is triggered and you're trying to give them instruction or you're trying to ask them to do something, they're... It, it's really likely that they're not going to be able to take that information in. just physiologically, it's not possible. So, um, I think, I think these sort of things are happening all the time in, in the workplace environment. And, and so the other thing I want to say about this is that, um, there's a way that as a whole society, we have collective trauma and, and that's, you know, in our, in our bodies, in our nervous systems, in our, in our neurological systems, our neurophysiology, um, the way that our brains function, you know, it's, it's, it's there. And, um, and we're also highly disembodied as a society in the contemporary West. Um, so we're disconnected from those experiences. So we, we're not privy to them. It's like, we don't have the self-awareness to know that's actually what's happening in our direct experience. Mm -hmm. So we just stay at the surface level all the time because really that's, that's over generations now. That's what's been safe. That's safe. Mm -hmm. Because as we dip our toes into these more uncomfortable spaces, these more uncomfortable places in our experiences, we don't, we're not skilled. We're not equipped. Um, uh, to navigate them and to navigate them in a way in which we stay in relationship with each other. And I, I mean, sort of to, to jump to the punchline, this is what I believe we really need. We need to be able to co-regulate. We need to be able to stay in relationship as we go into these deeper places. And um, for lots of reasons, uh, we're just sort of waking up to that fact. Mm. Wow. That was amazing. I kind of it kind of reminded me when you were talking there about um, like like what what's safe and then I was listening to something today about how we as maybe especially the West but primarily humans we need something to blame and I was kind of thinking you you, you probably know it was on the world it was on the world news but we had a very big fire in London of a block of flats called Grenfell and in the industry um, we seem to have jumped on one thing. Um, and that's a cladding around the building and, mm. and that's it. And it's now, now don't get me wrong. There are people in the industry that are going into the depth of this stuff. But when you really start to dive into all this, all the stuff, all the kind of individual, I, I kind of call them dominoes that, that led to the big fire. It's huge. It's absolutely massive. You're talking like cross industries. You're talking about te mm. dealing with problems in construction, in housing, in maintenance, in FM, absolutely everywhere. So mm. maybe it is a point like what well, I really liked what you said about it. It's safe. You know, it's safe for us to watch the news, blame the clad in and boom, move on. And that 
that kind of reminded me of something else which I read in one of Andrew Sharman's books where he was, I can't remember the person he was referencing, but he said about we as people have like heuristics in our mm-hmm. head and there were three types, but I can't remember what they were. But essentially I read them as that they're like anchors, you know, like so Grenfell becomes an anchor in our brain and uh, you know, 9-11 and what happened in England as well, they become anchors in our brain and we'll kind of mm. never forget them to a point. But then we attach that to this surface level root cause of cladding or or a religion or terrorists or whatever and we never get past that is that kind of the same thing yeah yeah i think so um glad i understood that then (laughs) yeah 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 and and you know to build on that a little bit you know as we've entered the last couple decades we've entered this sort of new paradigm of um you know, uh, uh, like a lot of the the consultant speak is like speed and complexity, right? Mm. Everything's faster, everything's more complex. We are in this always on culture, it's global, right? Speed and complexity. So as as we've entered um, this this new paradigm, um, it's like, it's like we don't, we have even less time, we have even less opportunity to actually be people together, to Mm. be human. Um, and to connect and and so these sort of heuristics these anchors I think become even more laden with Mm -hmm. meaning for people or um, they become like even bigger nodes in the network in how to make sense of things so and and I think at the same time the other thing that's happening is that people are seeking deeper and deeper sources of meaning making Mm. that actually people are starting to get tired with the surface level and and it, it's actually starting to break down more that we actually need a, a deeper ability to make sense of things which is um maybe a different conversation but it, it's sort of how uh the pool the pool of sort of wisdom the wisdom traditions are, are coming back online in the west for the first time in a really long time wisdom traditions is in what does that mean yeah like um uh like the the resurgence of um or maybe not a resurgence but the surgence of of like meditation and mindfulness mm, I and that's what you meant yeah yoga you know shamanism uh using psychedelics for awakening awakening the mind mm. um so all of these things are coming back in even uh like folklore and storytelling um so all of these these different ways of of just making sense of things that mm. maybe isn't so linear, isn't so surface, isn't so simple. Mm. Yeah, I, I thought that was where you're going with that because I watched. Uh, I don't know if this is this is probably when, when talking it from my level to yours, you're probably laughing at me. But like, I'm fascinated oh. with the Explained series on Netflix. I don't know if you, oh. it, but and they've got a Mind Explained bit now. So uh-huh. they're talking about um, they were talking about psychedelics in there and how maybe we just scratch the surface and actually what how amazing these things could be for our minds and stuff like that which i was a bit intimidated by but we'll, we'll leave that where it is and then <laughs> they're talking about mindfulness it was a whole episode on mindfulness and mm. i i wouldn't say i'm a practitioner in, in any way shape or form but i'm definitely massively intrigued by it from two things one that it can help me on a personal level but two how it can help me in a professional level i think to be more mindful at work of our environment risks hazards whatever instead of historically where we've kind of approached safety from a habitual point of view for it to be 
habit, mm. which to me kind of means that we switch off. So mm. we switch off because it's a habit, whereas mindfulness means we wake up and we start looking at what we're, we're actually doing and thinking about the impact. So I'm very intrigued by it at that point. And then to watch this episode, when it came on, I was like, oh, I'm going to watch that. So I put it on. And then uh, long story short, it was like, what you know to be mindfulness is actually not mindfulness. This is, and they started talking about like Buddhism and stuff like that. This is actually mindfulness. And I was like, literally just wasted a year like trying to work out what this stuff is and it's, <laughs> and it's wrong uh, or not wrong but it's not traditional kind of wisdom like you would say but yeah 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 and um maybe i should just say that um as, as sort of like full disclosure like like i, I practice tibetan buddhism and i teach meditation mm-hmm. um so i have a i have a um bias towards it maybe yeah 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 something like that like i have i have a really deep firsthand experience Mm. um that has shifted my life in many ways and so and i have and i have i've real belief in these um in these these uh these these skills these mental skills that we can develop and Mm. and the way that we can train states um so uh, I mean, I could go off on, it's not a tangent, but I could, I could loop something in right now if, if you'd like me to. Okay. Yeah. I am really conflicted at the moment because I'm like, yeah, yeah. oh, I want to talk about this framework, but I actually really want to talk about this kind of <laughs> meditation, mindfulness thing because I'm like, oh, which way do I go? So yeah, yeah. You, go, you go off on your loop and then we'll bring it back. Okay. Yeah. And, ma- and maybe I can, I can do some integration. So, um, actually, uh, one of the things that, um, I was reflecting on as I was sort of preparing for our chat today on this this model, this framework that I made, because I made it a few years ago and I'm trying to be like, like, you know, at it sort of at a deeper level, like, why did I create this? And, um, and, uh, and one of the things that I that I think is really powerful and that um, I think maybe wasn't really and I, I said this a little bit right like i think in the organizational context we focus so much on the external um and we don't focus a lot on the internal so the external it's like behaviors things you can see systems and processes the way we do things right but we don't really focus a lot on the internal so the the inner world the inner experience and even um the 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 sort of inside experience of the we space the culture okay. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of preemptively already explaining, elucidating the thing I'm going to introduce now, which is, um, which is, uh, is basically, uh, the integral framework, the integral theory from Ken Wilber. He's the originator and, um, and integral is like a, it's, it's basically like a, a meta theory. It's a way of, of trying to comprehensively makes sense of of sort of anything um at any given time and at a very very basic level integral theory functions on so um i'll just pause and say you know i feel like i've spent like the last however long i don't know how long we've been talking like 20 or 30 minutes mm-hmm. um talking about how things are so simple mm-hmm. so i'm 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 just i want to introduce a way that we can start to um make make our understandings more complex more diverse and more dynamic not for you know complexity for complexity's sake but really to try to understand at a deeper level what might be operating so um 
that's so that's what I'm doing here. So in, <laughs> integral, enter integral, right? Um, at at the the most simple level, integral is um, it's referred to in the community, the integral community, as aqual. So it's um, all quadrants, all levels, all lines, all types, and all states. So, um, so so and basically. Uh, the idea is that in order to really have a comprehensive view on anything, you need to include at least these these five elements. At sort of the the most primary thing, all quadrants, are these four things. It's it's like an x and a y axis, right? So it's um, it's an individual. It's a collective. It's like there's an individual version of this and there's the plural or the collective version of this and then there's the inside of it and there's the outside of it okay. right yeah. so what what maps onto that really nicely um is i we it it's okay so um in terms of perspective so mm. most of the time at work we're in the it and we're in the it's okay it's a, it's abstract it's like, this is the behavior. This is the system. This is the, these are the numbers. This is the quantity. You know, okay, yeah, this yeah. is our timeline. This is the plan, right? And we don't actually spend a lot. That's all. So that's all exterior. We don't actually spend mm -hmm. a lot of time on, on the internal, on the interior. Um, we're starting to now, right? Psychological safety, all this, all this talk and work around culture. We're starting to get into the interior space. Um, which I think is vital. And it's, it's one of, one of the, in my opinion, and I think something I've always been interested in, um, probably for the last 15 or 20 years are our states, states of consciousness and states of experience. And, and the reason that mindfulness at, at sort of the very basic foundational level of any meditative practice is mindfulness is being able to just simply observe without judgment, without any analyzing mm. what's occurring, right? So it's mindfulness is neutral. You're not trying to change anything. You're not trying to do anything. You're not trying to understand. You're not, you're not trying to, yeah, you're not even trying to understand. You're just trying to simply observe. Mm. So it's neutral. And so in terms of tra training states, Mindfulness and meditation is, it's like as good as it gets, mm. you know, these are thousands of years old technologies that just, they work, you know, they really work. So if you you know, you focus on your, your breath for a few minutes, or you look at a painting, or you look at the ocean, you know, whatever it is, you actually can change your physiological state. And so I think that's, that's just like fundamental to operating in such a complex world that we're in. And if you take something like innovation and change, which is so vital right now, maybe more so than it's ever been because things are so complex and there's competition coming from everywhere, you know, disruption, all of that. If you want innovation, innovation and change isn't an external thing. You have to start from the interior. You have to start from the inside. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'll pause there. That's that's my uh, <laughs> that was my my tangent, which maybe isn't a tangent. No, it was really good actually. It was really good. <laughs> I like that like <clears throat> that piece you said about like just observing without the kind of judgment. That's something that 
I personally struggle. I like I can't just look at something. It's like it's always like, well, why is that there? How's it working? What, I wonder what you know. If I was just in the gym this morning or around lunchtime, just sitting there watching this gentleman on a cross trainer, like I wonder why he's got that tattoo. You know, I want to wonder what he's <laughs> doing. My mind just constantly going all the time. It's kind of so that was for me is like something I think that would benefit me just to be able to just switch off because I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I liked your your loop back. You did it quite well to loop back into innovation and change, which is where we are. So well done. Um, so it starts with if you want innovation and change then you need teamwork and collaboration uh, yeah. which requires communication now those three are probably I would say the only three words on there that I feel like I truly understand um, <clears throat> when we start talking about psychological safety and interpersonal trust I'm starting to think well I'm not sure I understand those so <laughs> So let's start with those three, you know, yeah. is that just, to me, that's just obvious, you know, we need teamwork, we need collaboration, there's something we, sh- we struggle with still even now, collaborating, maybe with, we actually had, um, we haven't published it yet, we've got another podcast about construction, and the lady on there was saying that um, one of the biggest things the construction industry struggle with is because it's so competitive, they're, they're not learning from each other. So mm. one will have a really serious inju- in, injury uh, mm. or an incident and they'll publish their results, their lessons learned within their business, but not to another construction industry, uh, sorry, to a business. So mm-hmm. so they're not collaborating with each other. And then, you know, I see it time and time again in, in businesses of like finance, not talking to blah, blah, and blah, blah, not talking to, and nobody talking to totally. safety because we've got this perception. But yeah, and so then that kind of brings us all back into communication. So maybe we'd start there. And if it is as simple and we've just now, well, then we'll move on. Um, but maybe okay. what are those three from kind of your perspective? Why did they need to go on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so, and I'll just say a little bit about it um, for people who who are who are listening without seeing it. Which um, it's basically it's like a flowchart, right? So it's it it builds. It's like it's 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 a super linear, and it's like it's sort of algorithm algorithmic, right? It's like if you want this, then you need this, and if you right, yeah, like that. Okay. So um, these fir- the, the top, right? This is so, so the top of this chart, which is like the, if, you, if you're trying to achieve innovation and change, then you need teamwork and collaboration. And in order to have teamwork and collaboration, you need communication. I think like, and so, okay, from my experience, most of the work that I do inside of organizations is just helping people communicate. So like someone I was, I was talking with the other day, they were like, you know, um, no, people don't actually spend time in meetings to make sure that everyone walks away with the same understanding. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have a meeting, we leave and there's five different versions of what happened in the meeting. There's five different versions of, what the outcome was. There's five different versions of what next steps were, right? It's like you're operating because the communication, you know, in many ways is simple, is surface level. There's probably a lot of jargon. There's so much jargon in corporate Mm. that people are not ever on the same page. 
And it's because that it's because they don't take time to actually communicate, to actually relate and say, Hey, can I just check my understanding? Or this is what I heard you say. Is that right? So it's, it's literally, it's so simple, but you know, I remember a few years ago I did, um, I did a whole communication, um, training around, uh, active listening, um, mm -hmm. in, a, in a big multinational corporation. Um, and one of the models that, that we were using to teach active listening and communication was this, this very simple, um, it comes from like nonviolent communication NVC, but literally you say, um, like, you know, when you said X, Y, Z, you know, I felt Y or whatever. Like mm -hmm. you literally say, let me just check that this is what you just said. Let me check my listening. Mm -hmm. And they were like, we know people don't really talk like this. Like they, it was like, they were so uncomfortable by the fact that this felt unfamiliar and sort of phony to them, which sure, anything at first feels unfamiliar and phony, but mm -hmm. to actually say, you know, Hey, let me just check that. I heard you. Is this what, is this what you said? Did I miss anything? Is this what you meant? Am I understanding you? Like that sort of dialogue doesn't actually happen that much. I think mm -hmm. on teams, mm -hmm. which I suppose actually really quite nicely flows into why it doesn't happen mm -hmm. is because your next bit, which communication, which requires psychological safety and interpersonal trust which to me makes sense as you were kind of describing it and I was thinking well why wouldn't I go in a meeting um hang on a minute can I just make sure I understand this right because I would fear somebody going what, you don't understand this what are you stupid uh, and that kind of environment right. so I suppose that flows really nicely into your next book right exactly exactly so because so often um, and this again, this is, this is from, um, Stephen, Stephen Poges, po, po, I'm screwing up his last name, but <laughs> the originator of polyvagal theory, who I, I watched a talk with him last week and, and he said, you know, all of the time from the point of view of our, our physiology, our nervous system, we're in like a defense mode. We're in, we're, we're, def we're defending ourselves. Yeah. And the way that we've sort of dealt with that as a society is that, is that our focus becomes on accumulating resources, accumulating resources, whether that's material, whether that's, um, financial money, whether that's people, whether that's, um, favors, you know, politics, we're, we're trying to, to acquire more and more resources to try to calm down our our need to defend ourselves all the time. Unfortunately, it actually doesn't work. The only way that we can actually get into um, into like a real safe place is our is our ability to co-regulate, to sit together and to be in uncomfortable situations and to stay in a relationship so that our nervous systems all calm down. We all achieve safety together. So. Mm -hmm. When it comes to um, that next step of psych psychological safety and interpersonal trust, if you don't have that sort of really sort of basic um, trust that you're not going to be met with some kind of reactivity, whether that's 
um, like you just said, you know, what are you stupid? You don't understand it or um, any other form of reactivity of someone shutting you down or someone else getting shut down or uh, someone getting angry or upset or just whatever the emotional reaction might be. And it, it could be anything. It could look reactivity sort of isn't isn't specific. It could reactivity can look in all sorts of different ways. Um, so if you don't have the basic trust that like you're not going to be met with reactivity and then be and then the whole thing is going to get shut down. It's one thing if you're if someone meets you re, re, with reactivity and then sort of owns it and say, oh, actually, like, sorry, I'm being reactive. Like, let's actually look at that. Like if 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 the interaction is is simple in such that it's like you say something, someone reacts to you, you get shut down. Oh, you're never going to say anything again. Like mm -hmm. if you don't move beyond that sort of three part move, you're never really going to have you're never going to have the trust. You're never going to have the safety. To, to really fundamentally connect, have good communication and, and do really interesting stuff in the world. Let alone like solve all the really big, wicked, complex problems we have right now. Yeah. Is that, is that like, well, as you were kind of talking, I was trying to think like, is that, uh, is the onus of, of to, to get to that point? And maybe, maybe we'll touch on it, but like, and, and you've wrote on the, on the framework, which hopefully when, when we publish it, people will be able to see, but you've wrote, this is where the conversation usually, usually stops. And I wonder if, and I, and I could be completely wrong, but is that because it's maybe 50% for the person, say, if I was communicating something, a PowerPoint presentation, whatever in the meeting, I'm trying to say, this is where we are, blah, blah, blah maybe it partly how I'm communicating and how I'm reacting as the, as the presentee, no, the presenter, sorry. And then the presentees, yeah. how they're reacting as well, like acknowledging. Yeah. And you've, I think you've got self-awareness. Yeah. You've got self-awareness on here, but quite far down the, like the, the flow chart. Yeah. Is it, is it both of those? Totally, totally. And so this is like you said at the beginning of our conversation, like we always want to, we always want to blame. We always want to place blame. Right. Mm. And that's, that is part of that sort of defensive physiological nature, right. That we're in all the time is, oh, let's just blame someone or I'll take all the blame. You know, you know, it could go either way. And so we actually have to enter into a much more complex understanding of the social, of the cultural, which, which is beyond right or wrong, black or white, you or me, you know, like we actually have to see how the moment is co-created. It's, it's emergent, it's emerging right in real time with whatever is occurring. So it's, I think you're exactly right. And, it, and um, also to tie in something you said from the beginning, that quote you like around, you liked around environment. Mm -hmm. So the, the environment also plays a role, you know, and whether that's the amount of time that you have or, um, you know, if you're about to get kicked out of a conference room and you can't actually have the conversation that needs to be had, these are really real factors on whether or not someone is going to speak up. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's all of these things. It's, it's the people in the conversation, it's the space, um, it's the time, uh, it's, you know, is someone virtual or, you know, is everyone else in the room? Like, are you co-present? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, like, like I was trying to say before with the, the integral model, it's like, can we take into consideration, you know, these five different aspects of what's going on right now to actually try to build the safety or to generate the enough comfort um, 
so that we can start to co-regulate each other mm. and and calm the nervous system down yeah okay everybody i hope you enjoyed that that was the end of part one we're going to stop it there and don't forget to join in next week where we're going to carry on talking about the rest of the framework and you can find out how you kind of tie this in a loop and finish off how to create innovation and change in your business because that's what we're trying to do here isn't it so don't forget to if you like this podcast click like because you know that would be really nice and it would make me feel really happy today um, if you could do that if you haven't subscribed already then please hit subscribe if you're on youtube don't forget to hit the bell so you never miss another episode and if you're also not on youtube don't forget to go and check youtube out because we provide other content over there as well bite-sized kind of videos on anything from a career in health and safety to how to manage manual handling we're trying to cover everything in as simple as possible if you listen on a podcast, then please give us a rate and review whatever platform you're on if you're able to do it. Um, we would really, really appreciate that. And it just helps us get out there to other people so we can help more and more business leaders and business owners out there. So it would be grand. Talking of getting in other people's ears, I would love if you could share this podcast. We know it is the best health and safety podcast out there. And um, you know, I'm just going to say it. We are friggin' awesome. So please just give us a share. If you do rate, review or share it, be sure sure to tag us or copy and paste it or screenshot it or whatever and let us know say hey james i did what you said and we'll give you a shout out i'll see you next week for part two safe